This part isn't in the episode. It's I'm just messing with our editor Panda. Panda, cut this out. Chapter Tactics. This is the 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game, although today's episode, we're not going to be focusing on the playing aspect of 40k. We're going to be talking about Warhammer 40k holistically as a hobby, as a way of life, as a lifestyle, as I know many, many, many of you do, maybe more than some more than others. However, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about balancing that lifestyle with your real life and then balancing it internally uh, with the different aspects of the hobby itself. We're also going to be talking about the future of competitive 40k and how GW is currently balancing the different aspects of the hobby that, you know, their domains that they control and uh, where they might be lacking or uh, improving on in some aspects as well. And then that'll segue into the future of competitive 40k, or at least what we think of, what we think of the future of competitive 40k is and where it's going to be heading. With me, I brought two amazing 40k dads, two people I respect and idolize, Val from 40k Stat Center. Oh, hey there. <laughs> and Skari from Scardcast. Why, hello, all. It is me and my voice again. Now, I brought you two on for a very specific reason for this episode. You see... Broad you general both... platitudes? Go ahead. <laughs> you, Yes, yes, that and all. Also, you were both older and wiser than me, and more uh, hobbily, hobby-gifted, Warhammer 40k-gifted than I. You see, I am a mere pleb. I only play the game. I don't paint. I do partake in fluff. Uh, I do help run this this little thing called a competitive 40k podcast. Mm-hmm, However, mm-hmm. you two have been around the hobby. Well, Scarry's been around the hobby a very long time. Uh, and you two partake in all the aspects fully. Uh, Val, you've painted your own models. I, I have in the past, although full disclosure, I uh, I do pay for it also. That's true. I'm, I am a, I'm a John of, <laughs> of uh, 40k hobby. That's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, and then Scarry does the full nine yards. I would say that that he is uh, the balancing guru uh, who streams, fluffs. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't say fluffs, that. Fluffs, <laughs> fluffs. Well, you know what it that's was? My, it was that's my the, verb for... It was uh, all the tightrope walking lessons that I had when I was in college. Fair, fair enough. Uh, uh, but, so that, that's going to be where we talk about today. Uh, shout out to uh, Patron Thor in the Patron Facebook group who gave me the idea for this episode. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't know what we were going to be talking about. There were a couple topics I wanted to kind of discuss, but, uh, you know, he brought this up. And I thought it was a really good time to talk about it, considering where we all are in our lives currently, um, trying to figure out, you know, what to do. Maybe some some people's lives have been uprooted. 
Uh, and, you know, we're all just kind of trying to find our way in this warm 40k multiverse and find our place um, in this, you know, life that we're currently living in in this year of 2020 uh, until everything goes back to normal. So that's what this episode is going to be about. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Balance. Now, I personally have had a really hard time with balancing Warhammer 40k as a whole as a game, right? And so what I mean by that is uh, previously other games I'd played, um, Magic the Gathering, <laughs> or earlier in my high school years like Halo, video games, League of Legends, um, tons of other games that I've thrown myself into and spent way too much time with way too little results focusing on. Uh, and it, all of those games were completely different than what Warhammer 40k brought to the table for me. Uh, Warhammer 40k is very much a multi-dimensional hobby uh, that focuses on different aspects, and GW knows this, and although yeah, they call, in the they call past... They it the hobby gene. The hobby gene? If, what, you, what read, is... if you read their uh, their uh, their note from, from the chairman, they call it the hobby gene. They're looking for people with the hobby gene. Oh, I oh. I just have khakis. hobby khakis here those dad jokes I'd say there's a lot more hobby hobby track pants out there in this uh, true well uh, my my hobby jeans were more like hobby sweatpants or hobby give up on life pants Um, you see you see uh, yeah I didn't paint uh, when I first started playing Warhammer 40k I actually despised it I still don't like painting but since I've been around the community for so long I've come to accept and understand that that it, painting is important it is it is a part of the game a part of the hobby that um i think that we all need to have at least some aspect of you know you need to have been able to paint us you know at least a couple miniatures nothing crazy i'm not asking you to go you know practice and be like a golden demon winner um but i i think it's important i think there's something about painting um that makes the game more enriching uh and so that's the balance i want to talk about is for the longest time little young 40k pd pop uh, absolutely refused to paint, um, and I thought that I could get away with enjoying this game without painting models. Uh, maybe commission painting them so that you know I could meet the bare minimum requirements to play tournaments. So we're talking like well painted stuff because I felt like the painting part of Warmer Forty K was was silly. I, I'll be frank. I mean, I came from a completely different background, right? Yeah. Where a background where you know, I could even use proxies in specific instances so that I could, you know, practice because it was always about the results. It was, you know, I've always been a results-oriented competitive person. Um, and so for me, it was always about the results. And this led me to real a realization that our community is very competitive, but they are low conflict. Um, and so what I mean by that is when you take... Actually, I'm rambling here. I'm going to rewind. Back to balance. Mm-hmm. So, balancing is important. Painting is important. Putting one the time of the many into... aspects of the hobby. Yes, absolutely. Uh, same thing with fluff. Uh, now, I'm not saying that you should go go out and like read every book, or go out and go to tournaments, or or go out and paint. There are obviously aspects that of the hobby that you like and don't like, and that's okay. But where the balance is beautiful is in basically where how the hobby sustains itself right and so um essentially if you partake in all aspects of the hobby you increase your chance to be able to connect with someone 
who is different than you, right? And so that was that was a huge barrier I had in my local community in San Diego um, because there were so many people who painted, who enjoyed that aspect, who didn't go to tournaments. I immediately, you know, we kind of like turned each other off. I was like, oh, I don't like you guys, not dislike, but I don't like, I don't like spending time with you guys. You guys aren't, I don't feel like you are a part of my community. Uh, and so therefore sorry, like, I'm just not going to spend time with you guys. You're going to be an other instead of now uh, where I realized we're all part of the same Warhammer 40k pie. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I think like with painting or hobby uh, versus people who are very game centric and game focused, there used to be a really big, I don't know, cleavage between those two things. And I think mm -hmm. there was a lot of hobby snobbery that I don't sense as much. It might just because I, I don't, go into echo chambers anymore that really push this concept but there seemed to be uh, when i first started playing again in 2015 seventh edition there was a lot of hobby snobbery and like a lot of looking down your nose at people who played the game in different ways than you and i think one of the things that has really helped smooth that over achieve warhammer world peace is uh, is is actually the lead of Games Workshop itself, and in in with the eighth edition, they came out with the idea of three ways to play, and they kind of gave everyone a home, uh, you know, to like, every, everyone kind of got their own sandbox, but more importantly, every, everyone was legitimized in how they approached the game, and so I feel mm -hmm. like that that sort of disconnect and also who's right and who's wrong was helped a lot because Games Workshop started. Um, enabling people to enjoy the game however they wanted in in a specific way rather than saying enjoy the game however you want and then we argue about it then that, that includes rules interpretations and all that kind of stuff games workshop fundamentally said you know we've got we got building we got painting we got we got playing we got lore you can and then then there's all the other stuff outside of that too that you can get into um so yeah i think i think a lot of the reason why we don't have that sort of I don't know. I don't feel that animosity like I used to uh, with, with people who well, maybe don't depends. go to tournaments all the time. It also depends on like who you interact with, right? Like even during, you know, business and, you know, improving yourself. Like they always, like one of the big sayings is show me who your five closest friends are so what your future looks like, right? So you, you the, the people who you spend time with will influence the way that you sort of like react to the hobby whether it's a highly competitive group that literally just doesn't even worry about building the models completely as long as it's you know sort of built and they're not really too worried about what their models are equipped with as long as they can put it on the table and play or a group that's very hobby focused or very hobby centric where you know you don't even dare put it middle model on the table that hasn't been fully painted and based you know yeah. and, and you will gravitate as a as a hobbyist as a player to a group that sort of you know embraces you but it is i will agree i love the fact that games workshop has acknowledged hey you know there are many ways to play this game and these are different avenues that you can express your love for the hobby and as a hobbyist you know it's it's completely up to you how you want to spend your mind, your your mind, how you want to spend, how you want to spend your money, your time, your effort, you know, and and that's really up to each individual person as to get a sense of accomplishment or a sense of, you know, doing something that you enjoy and uh, and feeling like satisfied with it. If I if I could just riff a little bit more there, I think too, like you can see how there's been. Rather than it being oil and water, 
I think both sides have come closer together in the sense that, you know, built into the missions now. And it's been fascinating to me that this seems to have been accepted. I assumed a lot of tournaments would just not bother with this. But the idea of having a battle-ready army just gets you 10 points on the mission immediately. You know, uh, that is a tip to the hobbyist side. Um, and also just in general in the ITC, over the last three years, we've seen an evolution away from, you know, counts as models, gray plastic, primed, prime models, to having actual hobby standards at events, which I think has gotten more hobby-driven people out. Like there's a hobby track. You can actually compete with your armies in, in, in sort of a pageant frame, frame of mind. So that, you know, that's sort of come together a lot more. I don't think necessarily, though, that painting is an important, or sorry, a necessary thing to enjoy. I think painted, so however you come, however you go about getting a painted army, whether you, you pay for a commission, you buy it used, it's a great way to get a painted army. You have a, I know some guys have, have pals who don't like to play, but they love to, to paint. So they, they have a friend who just, you know, they sort of have a reciprocity there. They feed them models and they get painted stuff. And I think playing the game with a painted army on painted terrain on a nice table, I think that's part of what, you know, the charm and the aesthetic of 40K is. Um, so, so, yeah. So, so to kind of add a little bit to that, Val, uh, and then I want to circle back to the balance in GW. Um, when you, so in the lowrider community, for those of you who don't know, uh, my dad and I grew up, uh, we built a um, lowrider, 64 Riviera. I love um, low, low stories. I'm oh, moving dude. back to this one. <laughs> so, so we built this one together. Um, we saved up a lot of money and um, it slowly turned into, uh, and I say this with complete humility, um, one of the nicest lowriders in San Diego, a, a historic uh, car that was put in a museum for six months uh, that people all around the country, when they see this car and they see me or my dad, they go, oh my God, you're, you know, you Pablo with the Rivi. Um, and in the lowride community, you don't, you, you acknowledge the painters and the artists who bring a car together. However, the person who brings the car together, they're, they're the, the artists, they're, they're El Jefe. You know, they're the guy who brought this beautiful work of art to this show to show off to you, yeah. right? You, you gotta, you gotta, you, you acknowledge Sal, the pinstriper, you know, um, Vince, the painter, uh, you, the upholstery guy, you give all those people their credit. And the same thing goes for Warmer 40K. One thing that I kind of disliked immediately right off the bat with painting and com painting com competitions is that the idea that you commission painting your own army is something that's that's negative, something that isn't lauded. Uh, and and to me personally, just I grew up with the idea that the person who brought it all together, who had the vision and put the money and time into taking care of and maintaining this beautiful work of art, should also be credited, right? So for you, for instance, yeah. for you, Val, your your beautiful Tau army uh, that you got commission painted, or your beautiful Battle Brothers painting, Adam yeah. Truax. You you told you know you gave them paint schemes and you worked together with those artists. They brought the skills necessary to bring that art to life. But you did you didn't have zero input. You didn't give it to them and said, "Hey, uh, take this." You know you put money into it. You put time into it, and you choose how to present it. Yeah, that mostly mostly I added money. Um, mostly but, you but, added money. But I mean, when you when you look at um, you know when someone wins the Super Bowl, they don't hand the Lombardi Trophy to the quarterback; they give it to the owner, right? So that's yes. that's that's like a, a a pretty standard thing. And this is a bit crass. All of this, I think. Um, I think a lot of uh, I don't know. I just I just think that it shouldn't be a big deal of how your army came to be painted. And I do also think that as much. 
I think if you do have a commission painted army, I always have hit like Adam's cards on my on my army tray. Oh, so yeah. I always have a stack of of like basically flyers, Johnny, flyers uh, <laughs> to uh, to hand out to people who ask me or who like the paint job. So and he's gotten work out of that, and I've got to tend to my son. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I agree. I always thought that that th- for the next evolution of paint competitions, and we're going off on a tangent here. Um, but for the next evolution of paint competitions, I, I want to see you know paint studios collaborate. You know, I want to see, you know, Dark Bunny Studios and Frontline Gaming, you know, paint studios get together and collab on some amazing night army where, you know, one studio converted it and then another studio painted it. And then a final studio just did like the, the, um, the Be like pimp free my ride, but, um, you know, 40k, yeah, that, you know, event style. That's the way that's the way a lot of art is actually, um, you know, you don't just get one person working on it. It's, it's a team of people. And then at the end of the day, you get rewarded for it and everyone gets rewarded for it because you, all of your respective services get, you know, talked about too. And I, I think it would also, you'd get so much amazing, so much amazing armies and art if more people collaborated. And I understand that's difficult, right? Cause you, you know, with that night army, you'd have to send it, you know, across the country or whatever. But, um, I, you know, if someone ever puts that together and it's actually accepted, like just imagine what GW would do with it, right? They could, they could, uh, you know, do this beautiful, like, UFO-themed Sisters of Battle army. And I'm just throwing wild ideas out there. But, you know, this beautiful, like, random army that GW grabs and just puts everywhere, right? And they put it in White Dwarf. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then you tell everyone, well, not one person did this. It was a team of people. A collaboration this effort of exactly. this and that and the other, yeah. Yeah, and GW does that, too. They They have teams of people paint their stuff. It's not just one guy working on one model. It's, you know, anyways... That's that's that aside. Uh, I thought GW did a great job when they brought in match play and and crusade play, and th- they really showed that they could balance the game around everyone. Uh, and that's that's actually a cornerstone of of game design and um, IP management is that you want your you want your your product to be for everyone or potentially everyone. You don't want it to be you don't want to target one specific audience you don't want to make it super niche you can totally do that if that's your thing uh that works really well for a small scale stuff but for a big scale big scale thing like gw uh you, you really want to give people uh you really want to give give people uh stuff to invest in uh for every kind of person right and that's why you see a lot of um angst and anger uh and animosity towards gw when they favor space marines over other factions Right, and I think that's one thing where their balance is a little lacking. I feel like uh, they, although it is important, Space Marines, you know, they they are their bread and butter poster child. Uh, they are the breadwinner, money maker. Uh, I I think GW could definitely do a lot more in non-space marine for non-space marine factions from a balance perspective to make the hobby more accessible for other people, um, especially now that we're we're getting all this new media coming in, you know on the uprising. Like just imagine like 20 million people watch 40k content in the next, you know, year, right? And then that's not unheard of, right? There's 50 million people alone that went on the warmer community site, 50 million new people that went on the warmer community site in the last 2 years. And this is this is a statistic I have, right? And that that's a lot of people. They're their number the warmer community page is number 2000 in the world globally for internet traffic. It's it's a massive website. And they're going to add to it with this media. So realistically, we could put we could put uh, warmer 40k in front of tens of millions of eyeballs 
Uh, and if 500,000, you know, a million of them go like, oh, that's super cool. I want I want to play Necrons or I want to play, you know, Chainsteeler Cole. Like they really appeal to the, the grungy blue collar alien inside of me. And then when they, you know, bust out the Gene Stealer Cult rules and they realize, oh shit, this isn't actually, you know, like, I don't like this. Like, the, the, there's nothing here. There's no fluff. There's nothing for me to relate to. They might leave. That's a potential customer that could that could have been kept if they, if GW had taken the time to create, like, a gray, morally gray, badass Gene Stealer Cult character or something. Something for them to grab onto. And so... Well, I think it's uh, nice to note that you know, the game itself, or as hobbyist, you know, some of you out there will have never actually played a game of Warhammer 40,000. Yep. You know, some of you uh, learnt the game through, like, the Dawn of War series, or the Space Marine like, like um, game on the Xbox. Or, you know, you you read a black library novel and really liked it because you went into the local bookstore and bought, like, a book and you read it and you thought that this sort of, like, you know, this world was really cool. And then eventually you, you kind of like get involved with the fact that, oh, this is an actual game and you can play this and whatnot. So how, wherever you are like in the world and whatever you decide is your hobby, you know, and some people like to just have a little bit of everything. So balancing the painting, the playing, the reading, the, you know, hanging out with well friends, you know, as much as you can at the moment. But all that stuff is all part of that, well-balanced hobby diet which is you know kind of like the main the main the main sort of focus of um of like giving you ideas and things on how you can also make sure that it's focused as well i'm actually right there right now with uh with age of sigmar and by extension warmer fantasy uh warmer fantasy i kind of got reinvigorated into it uh by the warmer total war series the video game series I love it, love playing it. I play it, you know, as often as I can. Um, and I actually started buying old metal fantasy models with no intention of playing them. I'm just like, oh, you know, those are those are Lizardmen Temple Guard. I really want those. Or that's that's a Sisters of Twilight Wood Elf model. Like, I don't care if it's super expensive. And, you know, I really want that model because I really like the Sisters of Twilight and their lore. And so I, I, I see why people would want to you know, indulge in an IP, indulge in a game without playing it now, right? I have no intention of playing Warhammer Fantasy at all. None. I have very little intention of playing Warhammer Age of Sigmar. I do want to play it, but it's it's waning. But I really want to paint these, this you know, these Sisters of Twilight model that I bought on their Forest Dragon. I really want to, I want to bring it to life myself and just stare at it because of of how the the lore makes me feel and there are people who play 40k and enjoy 40k like that too yeah exactly right yep and uh you know and a lot you you have a job or you have family or you have like other responsibilities and so not only is the hobby right part of what we do that really sort of encompasses our daily life but a lot of the times it's it can be an escape for you like you know it's like your third your third um third space in terms of like having something to do or it can be you know your your sort of like level-headedness where you know painting is like an escape from like all the crazy of the day or whatever so there's a lot to it than just playing and collecting right and uh, that's that's also very important to acknowledge as well yeah now let's go ahead and talk about balancing warm 40k with your life 
Um, because it is, I, that is, that is actually the spirit of what the question was about. Uh, we did kind of move away from that. Uh, I, I'm so glad you came on this episode in particular, uh, because you're someone who has fully immersed themselves into everything Warmer 40k and GW has to offer. You know, you, you talk about lore. You don't. You don't just. You don't just ignore it. You. You know. You know what's going on. You know who your favorite characters are. Uh, you are invested in the lore. You obviously paint, uh, and you're a pretty okay tournament player. I've heard. So, um, the the point is, <laughs> you, I'm joking. He's he's actually a really good player. But the point is, is that you you have so much investment in Warmer 40k, and it, it's in your life. Where do you find the balance to enjoy Warmer 40k and everything it provides, and also? still have time for you know your family and other uh, things that you want to do uh professionally and uh, you know as yourself w- where's the balance there well you know with uh you know being that that 40k is has literally over the last two years become like my profession and like my 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 income and you know what i do for a living it's you know my my sort of situation is probably a little bit sort of like extreme or a little different than a lot of like just everyday like that do it as a hobby sort of person um however that does come with a whole set of different challenges mainly how do i not get sick of it right and i think um or how do i you know keep it fresh and entertaining on a daily basis and not let it sort of stagnate and turn into something that's too repetitive or something like that as well and I'll tell you one thing. I think regardless of what I'm doing or when I wasn't my job, something that really helped um, or helped me just keep sane and keep everybody around me sort of like happy and like in good spirits is you have to, I, I use a lot of scheduling tools. So, you know, making sure that I have like a calendar that I put down like where my next tournament's going to be and make sure that I speak to my wife and like family about like if I want to do a trip to like the ETC or the WTC or, you know, if I want to go to a big tournament, of course not right now, but I mean, when that was a thing to just make sure that it's like scheduled and it's planned and it's not just something impromptu or something that, you know, um, that just came out of nowhere. It's also important to, and this is something is I, I have no problems not being able to go to events, right? Like I'm detached from that in the sense that if, you know, I need to stay because of family or if I need to like leave an event early because I've got a family emergency or whatever, like that's never going to be an issue. And, and so having that sort of, you know, safety from a perspective has really helped um, sort of build that trust of, you know, if I need to do something, it'll get done uh, or it'll, you know, there's less tension and, and, you know, there's, it's more of like a process of both of, both of the family unit here working together to make sure that we're there for our son. And, you know, we, we were like making sure that normal life happens on top of everything that I want to do with the game as well. You know, and having like set yeah. times where I sit down and paint, you know, it's like a set time, right? Like I have this time to this time is my painting time. And this time to this time is when I do Chapter Tactics podcast, right? And this time to this time is when I have a Team Canada meeting. And then I have my coaching calls. And, you know, so it's just all, it's all scheduled so that it, you know, I, I can organize it in my life. 
Yeah, I'm actually a little jealous of you in that um, you do, and I understand that I could probably do this too, uh, but you, yeah, you do have very specific times uh, throughout your week that you devote to very specific parts of the game that I wish I could do. Um, and I, I, I think scheduling is a great idea, especially if you're having trouble uh, scheduling your life around 40k. Um, and so I also want to talk about the opposite of you, Skari, and this is people who have busy lives, people like me, people who have busy busy lives, who want to invest more and more into Warmer 40k, but, but can't necessarily do that, right? So to use myself as an example, I have a vested interest in this game as a whole. It, it very much drives my career, drives my profession, um, and, you know, if, if 40k died tomorrow, I would basically be out of a job, uh. So, because yeah, I work for Frontline, and then obviously the the patrons who bless them so much, they they you know give me a little more extra support and income, uh, and they also keep this podcast running. I, I I'm a very busy guy. I've got I've got a lot of things going on at home. Um, my work at Frontline keeps me very busy, and so I find myself constantly struggling, grasping for every little bit of you know Warhammer stuff that I can to keep myself uh, relevant and keep my knowledge relevant. Uh, so what would you recommend to me and to someone who who is having a harder time maybe they maybe they you know they they've got a lot of stuff going on at home maybe they have other things maybe they they don't have anyone to play with maybe they just they don't have anyone to talk to about warmer 40k what advice would you give uh, to them scary and and val if you're if you're around val okay so the you have to really prioritize what you find the most rewarding in the hobby I think that's the most important part. You have to sort of understand, you know, what is your hobby lifeline? Is it painting? Is it you're reading a like a book, right? Like a, the lore? Is it um, playing a game? Or is it, you know, discussing the game or building army lists even? Some people just love building army lists, for example. And... Then once you've figured out what your like main hobby lifeline is for the hobby, especially if you have swamped and and like there's tons of stuff going on around you and you're trying to figure out like what to do or how to enjoy it, is that that one hour of painting can be six ten minute sessions in a day. Like, it doesn't all have to be set down. Like, when I was super busy and doing, like, running around and, like, doing sales and stuff like that, like, a lot of the times I didn't really have a lot of time to just, like, sit and do painting or whatever, especially if I was, like, on call or, you know, doing stuff like that. But I could, I could, I, what I would do is I, I love painting and I wanted to continue, like, building my army and that sort of stuff. So I would sort of compartmentalize each part of painting, where if I had one session, I'd like build all my stuff real quick, right? And I'd, I'd like do it in 15 minutes here or 10 minutes there. And then I would take the time to prime everything. And then I got really good at like painting in stages where like I'd paint all the green, all the red, all the, you know, gray, all the purple on the different models. And whenever I had 10 minutes, I would just work on a single color for 10 minutes, basically. And over time, you know, it didn't it didn't feel very cohesive, but over time I got my army painted and the stuff that I wanted to get done done. And it's the same with like reading or, you know, building army lists is if you have a few minutes here, if you have a few minutes there, you know, you just have to sort of find a way to enjoy like little sort of snippets of it at a time. 
Yeah, we we actually have a, a worker, and, and he wouldn't want me talking about him uh, on the podcast. He's a very secretive guy. Uh, but we have a worker um, at Frontline who, when he when he used to paint, he would bring like a single paint pot into work, and then just whenever he could, he would just leave like a tank out, and he would just paint it one color. And I always thought it was the strangest thing. I was just like, you have, you you literally don't have a paint area to work with. You you're working with you know, a water cup that you also drink out of, not together, they're they exclusive, but, you know, he would rinse out the cup anyways, and, and, you know, just one brush and just paint, and it, to me that just sounds, when I do paint, because I have painted models before, fully painted, like I know how to do it, I don't, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but when I do paint, I like to lay out a full canvas, I need like five foot by three foot space, you know, I need a desk. I need like a place for a computer or like a phone stand. I need I need the full works, and I just need to sit down and zen and concentrate. And I think that's because I don't because I'm, because I'm kind of maybe forcing myself to paint. I'm not necessarily it's not necessarily I'm doing something out of enjoyment. Yeah, but, no, uh, I, I, and sorry, sorry to interrupt here, but no, you no, know, one ahead. of the biggest things it's really funny that you said you like to like spread out, and that's very true. You know when painting or hobbying a lot of the times is about creating that sort of safe space in that sense where you're like this is my zone you know what i mean <laughs> but something that i had to get really creative with at times was uh like downsizing my footprint so that i could move my footprint to different areas of the house if that makes sense yeah yeah i i get that so you move your footprint to like, I guess this counter on the kitchen is now my, you know, I've got three ter- termagants here and some paint pots. Well, ideally it was something I could move. So like oh, a yeah. 12 by 12, you know, oh. like tray, right? Like a little, yeah, like yeah. a coffee tray. You know, basically everything I needed to work was on a little coffee tray. So if right. I needed to be upstairs because I was waiting for some the water to boil or whatever, I could literally take my little tray with everything I needed and it was with me. So if I needed to paint, I had like two minutes. I could paint like a Kabbalite warrior or whatever it was. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're talking about painting here, but you can do the same thing with competitive 40K. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm bringing, this is kind of where uh, I want to go full circle here and what I've been doing. Um, and that's, I've been kind of doing your 12 by 12, but I'm doing it with a codex uh, and my phone. So as long as I have a codex, my phone, and maybe a piece of paper, because I like writing out my list still. Um, so just like something about visualizing your list on a piece of paper that just really gets me. Um, I've literally been bringing my Necron codex everywhere I go. Uh, you know, in my car, I'm bringing it to work, I, you know, bring it home. It's sitting right next to me right now. And I just open it and I just, you know, just look at it every now and then. Sometimes I'll look at a model that I really like and see, you know, math out. And then another thing I have is dice. I have like 12 D6s with me in a little case that I carry around. And I just use that to roll out dice, roll out like damage. Like how well will this Hexmark Destroyer do against, you know, eradicators? The answer is awfully. Um, I've come to terms, for those of you Necron players out there, come to terms with the fact that the Hexmark uh, Destroyer, who is like the, he's the, um, the deep striking assassin Necron guy with the six pistols, such a cool model. He's got so many cool rules. He's I'm going to say it right now. Not good. Want to be Kelomorph? Yes. It's so <laughs> sad because he's ten points cheaper than the Kelomorph with more wounds and higher toughness and the ability to deep strike. 
and with that cool stratagem, deep strike and shoot in your opponent's movement phase. But oh my god, he is just not good. Even into like guardsmen and plague bearers. Like he's just for 75 points, I get it. You don't want a, you know, a model that can just wipe out hordes and hordes of dudes, but ugh, it's just he is just not the the, the worst part is, is he can be like I'm getting sidetracked here. The point is is that <laughs> where has this conversation gotten? To? Oh my gosh. I we're, love we're talking... We were talking platitudes, now we're talking about very specific Necron guys that you See what happens is as a podcaster, you understand the keywords um to send Pablo down this like train of thought. <laughs> And it becomes this <laughs> existential uh, analysis, and I love it. I love it, and I know oh, the man. the audience loves it. I know you love it. Some some people do, yeah. the the, <laughs> the non space the non Necron players are probably a little tired. the The point is, is that you know I've been I've had my Necron codex on me the entire time because I'm I absolutely am just determined to come back into you know 40k and competitive 40k with 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 wins and with gusto and um you know i'm doing the full thing i really want to jump into it um and i'm really enjoying it it's really exciting me but it's you know bringing my codex around has has helped me balance warmer 40k with my other responsibilities in life well i'll tell you this codex will definitely reanimate you Ooh. Uh... Ah, double daddy joke <laughs> Val, i know your daddy joke senses were tingling there i was i knew it was coming <laughs> no, I refuse to accept your wah wah horn. Okay. What, what about you, Big da- Big Daddy Val? You know, you, your your life is all up, uh, not upheaval, but your life is all different right now and busy. Uh, how do you balance, you know, warmer forty k in general around your life right now? I guess one of the things that might be seen as a positive amongst a lot of the negative that has come with with COVID nineteen is that life in general slowed down quite a bit. So, you know, there's a lot less, I think, a lot, lot less, like, obligations, a lot less social stuff going on. So there just feels, in general, like there's a lot more room in life, for me anyway. Um, so, you know, there's been more than enough space uh, for the kiddo. What's been more challenging is, um, you know, f- finding, you know, what I consider, you know, appropriate ways to play the game. Um, so most of what I do is in my head these days. It's not not sort of... I don't get to play as much as I would like to, maybe, but I never did, ever did. I'd play all day, every day if I could. I'd live in a van down by the river and go to Warhammer tournaments uh, if, if, if that was in the cards and I you know, didn't have the life I have, which I love the life I have, but really there's not really any end to how much of this I can consume, it appears. So. Note, to, note to self, Val's dream job is to be the Chris Farley of Warhammer 40K. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like it's so, so. One thing that I did lean into hard before, um, before the Space Marine Codex was almost out, and then I lost my momentum big time because I got nervous about changes. Uh, was I was actually building and 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 hobbying and and doing stuff, but I got really stuck recently. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just always try and find ways to amuse myself. One thing that I tend to do too much of, and I've been dialing back a lot, is just like mindless scrolling, like a lot of like. Warhammer Facebook and Reddit and stuff and just like lots of chat groups and things. I'm trying to like get rid of that and do more things that are actually tangible and productive, whether that's actually writing a list or actually reading about rules or actually putting a model together or, you know, getting a biohazard suit and actually going to play someone in their garage, you know, like something like that. That's what I'm going to try and focus on rather than just a lot of mindless stuff. Yeah, I I feel that completely. Um, For me, that that kind of 
because uh, I, you know, I joined a lot of the Necron groups, and um, they are you know twenty thousand members strong of of all sorts There's of a variety of Necron players, not, like not just Necrons? competitive ones. And so with that, you have a lot of different opinions, uh, ideas, arguments, and so it, it is important to to step away from that and work on something else that you necessarily want to work. So for me, it's been lists. Uh, for you, it's been you know putting games in your headspace and trying to figure out you know how to do that. Um, but it is important that you that you do that in some regards if, if that's something you feel like you're lacking. Now, uh, talking about balancing competitive 40k and balancing playing the game, I want to talk about GW now. Oh, they have been doing a great job so far with competitive 40k. I, I think um, I think that they still have a long way to go. But they are stepping in the right directions, hiring the right people, doing the right things that they need to do to make their game available to everyone. Uh, one thing that Mark Rosewater from uh, Magic the Gathering is the lead designer um, of Magic the Gathering and someone who's, you know, kind of a, a guru when it comes to game design. Um, something he said was that you want to design your game for a variety of people using a variety of formats. Every card needs yeah. to be created for yeah. one person. Even if that one person is the niche, is the exception. You want to create, even if that card is bad, if that card becomes a meme, you did your job. So, same thing with Warhammer 40k. GW, they, they're they still supporting every faction. I know I said earlier that, that I wish they'd supported each faction a little bit more. Right. They're still giving every faction support. They haven't cut anything they haven't squatted anyone um and well, they got legends now but i mean i would say that it is and this is this is both a this is a backhanded compliment but it is it is a it is amazing how much they are able to do with the very limited amount of resources that they put as a company into the game itself the yes. studio the studio is is like as much as i slag them in various places <laughs> Um, because I'm always I'm I'm a dad now, so I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the things that frustrate us have to do with the fact that you know Magic the Gathering, Wizards of the Coast. And I think they would describe themselves first and foremost as a game company. Maybe they're edging towards IP and that kind of stuff. They got a show coming out, but you know, Games Workshop has games on the on the tin. But you know, the studio I'm sure is 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 always starved for resources. And that I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure they have they might might have recently gotten Microsoft Excel but you know like just from a pure pure people power um you know you can tell that there's a, a very small crew of people um hitting a lot of tight deadlines. Yeah, absolutely. Uh you, you could definitely see that especially in some of the Forge World releases, kind of just Forge World in general, which I understand is like a sister company branch of GW, but um it it, it does so feel that subsidiary. way. They, they feel like a company that can potentially do, you know, use their resources to do great things, but don't always do them. Um, which I think kind of implies like not having the com the people in the company not having, or, or I guess the leaders in the company not all having one common vision. Um, and I saw that in particular as a, the best example I can think of is the uh, gym workshop uh, when the Games Workshop website was closed down and they brought it back up. Mm -hmm. They brought it back up with style. You know, they put they made a loading queue. There was this big, huge deal that they handled it like a professional company. Yeah, I was very proud of them. Uh, but then the Indominus box released two months later, and that was a complete shit show. That was yeah. that was uh, bad. Yeah, the Indominus Indominus box is one thing, and we've 
you know, beat it to death, I think, here and elsewhere, um, you know, how that was handled. But you, know, you could probably say that was somewhat at least COVID-related. Maybe it was a bad or, or, or mis- underestimating how much demand there was, even though they estimated a pretty big level of demand. I'm sure there's somebody there who got uh, a performance review that wasn't great. That's fine. But I think in the release of ninth edition in general, you can see like the core rules on launch, like out of the gates were fantastic. Like I think the, the actual you know, foundation of this game, you can tell they poured a lot of effort into. And then the further out we get from there, the kind of more than that, you know, it seemed, you can see almost where they invested their time. So like once by the time, like by the time they released chapter approved, you know, Goonhammer was able to reverse engineer you know, the matrix that they used to to reset the points very quickly, you know, using Excel spreadsheet. Um, and, you know, we've seen sort of strange choices made, um, you know, in the codexes that have been released. And we do see a, still a power level imbalance. And wah, 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 wah. All I'm saying this for is that because I think what's frustrating is that it's all very preventable. And that balance that I'd love to see GW continue to improve is investing in their game. And not and not trying to run the the studio, you know, redlined, um, because I think the more that they support their game, the more that it will, you know, drive the value of their IP, the drive model sales, all that kind of stuff. I think that's proven uh, with the success of Eighth Edition, and right now in a in a pandemic, what can only be described as the incredible success of Ninth Edition, and it's it's easy, I think, for them to rest on their laurels because they achieved a certain level. They sort of raised their bar enormously from seventh to eighth. And I just don't feel like they moved the bar after that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, and you could also blame COVID as well, but the hubbub around ninth edition wasn't nearly as high as around eighth edition, eighth edition. They were marketing for, for a long time, for months mm-hmm. and months. Uh, they, you know, they had, content creators invested in the edition they they brought up the idea of playtesters it was really a revolutionary whole new world uh and it was to the detriment of their competitors you know um, yeah. whereas ninth edition really didn't feel that way and i don't i don't think even you know even if this year had been completely perfect and normal i don't think it would have been the same i don't think that i think you're right i think they rest on their laurels and maybe directed their resources somewhere else uh and i it it is interesting to see where the resources are directed. I think uh, I'm pretty sure it's, it has something to do with the Warhammer community team because that has been by far the the largest grower um, in the last five years for GW. That 100% with the Warhammer community team, they've done a great job. They've really grown that company, uh, and so it makes sense that they would throw more money into that and all of the domains it entails, and that includes their media. And so, what I mean by that is that I I suspect that they are going full in to the idea of, you know, videos and warmer 40 K media. Uh, they released that awesome, yeah. awesome trailer video of yeah. all the things to come. I mean, look at, look at the, the amateur um, Astartes series on YouTube yeah. is, is hundreds and thousands of views each uh, has mainstream crossover. There's like reading, watch and react vids of just, you know, normie ish, like nerd types. Uh, blown away by it. So when they have, you know, that production um, going full steam with, you know, Warhammer anime, animation, maybe live action, all that stuff is going to be awesome. But honestly, though, that's, you know, 
licensing, right? Like <laughs> fundamentally, yeah, that's, that's just licensing. It's not. It's it's just like they're they're not making the Warhammer games that that are appearing constantly. You know, they might have some oversight as to whether or not the license that they gave is being observed. You know that kind of stuff, but like it's it's farmed out. They're not they're not actually producing a live action show. They might be consulting heavily, but they're not producing it, or they hopefully not. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean the, the Ultramarine I, movie would uh, would uh, love. Oh to, no, uh, to have <laughs> yeah, a word with you, about Val. It. I don't know. I, I mean, about I, I think you're right. I, I think that they're. I think that the uh, investing time into it. So every something you learn in like blogging and stuff, right? Is every article you write does take up an amount of space. Takes up you know your time for the day a slot for the day that uh you need to economize and and uh, balance around right and so if they write an article about their net their new netflix series that does take away from something else maybe nova coverage or or uh yeah. you know a hobby showcase or something like that right so you, you you do with marketing you do have to balance your resources um around that so i think that's kind of where I was getting at. Was that I don't think I don't think it's a marketing like spend issue. Like we're 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 right now for free marketing for Games Workshop. I think that's, that's something true. that they they tuned into coming into Eighth Edition is holy cow. If we just yeah. give these guys some free plastic, like they will they will talk about us even more. And like the proliferation of Twitch streamers, YouTube, uh, like full time YouTubers, uh, podcasts, all that kind of stuff is massive, and it's all free advertising. It's all word of mouth. People talking to engaged customers of theirs and getting them to be more engaged it's beautiful so again it's something they farmed out it's 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 the the warmer community stuff is great but i would also suspect a very small team um you know not actually a ton of people i think the majority of of their you know actual staffing would probably lie in manufacturing and also in retail obviously that's that's where that's where their people are oh yeah 100 percent. yeah to get that's, to, that's where they make the most the, money to get the like to get the game to take that next step you would really need to have people cuz like games workshop was humble for like 30 seconds you know and it took them a long time to get humble but you know 7th edition 6th 6th edition from a share price perspective they were in the doldrums for years and years they they finally got some like leadership changeover you know famously uh, kirby steps down and roundtree comes in he brings in some different executives anyway, but the, there was a, in that little moment, they were humble enough to say, hey, maybe what we're doing could use some tweaking. That's when innovations like the community team and also, hey, why don't we work on our game a little bit here, guys? Why don't we bring in some playtesters? That happens, right? So like that, that all happens there. But the second they did that and, and this thing starts popping off like game busters because that's all anyone was hoping they would do is just, hey, give us something, give us a little bit. Now there's no real incentive for them to risk things like for example they need to say we need to give up we need to give up codexes they need to they, they need to reimagine what codexes are full stop period because the game should not be attached to a six-month delivery delivery timeline that is pressing go and getting things in stores for for rules it's just it's absurd to me and it's so you're saying they're, they're compliant they're being pretty compliant right now yeah they're, they're they basically they got they got to a point where holy and it took off like a firecracker like honestly like games workshop right now is priced like amazon or or facebook maybe not amazon like that's that's pretty intense <laughs> but i'm honestly it, it's priced like like the fangs you know the facebook amazon netflix google they, their oh, yeah. stock is is wildly overpriced right now it's incredible 
Um, so like they, they're probably just high on their own supply. And I think to, in order to maintain this and to keep it, keep it rolling, I just would hope, you know, any great organization will continue to try and improve and to, to iterate and to reinvest and all that kind of stuff. And I just haven't, I, I'm just disappointed. I haven't seen that from the studio. I've seen them get to a level and then basically maintain. And by the way, they've gotten incrementally better. The core, the core rules of, of ninth edition, I think are phenomenal. I think they'll get these codex releases right with, with FAQs later on and stuff. At least they're doing it, you know what I mean? And, and as a, like, yeah, I'm getting tired of that though. Like there's no, like, like I'm getting tired of that. Like at least they're doing it was valid four years ago, you know, when it was great that they were doing it. And I think it's reasonable to be critical that they're not getting it right. You know, like they have enough, they're big enough, they're bad enough. They know what they're doing. They can write such good stuff. Like that's the other thing that sucks. Right, like it's just like the stuff that's good is so good, and then they, you know, eradicators or fill in the blank. You know, like there's just something strange that they do that just throws skews the whole thing. So I don't know. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Xfinity. Do you like free stuff? Well, listen up. Xfinity Flex is a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Plus, Peacock Premium is included at no extra cost. That's a win-win. If you have Xfinity Internet, entertainment starts at free with Flex. So go on, get really into your shows. Xfinity, it's a way better way to watch. All right. Scar, did you, you, you have more to say to there? I do not. Okay. I, I jumped on you, Scar. I apologize. I just, <laughs> it's all I good. Just, I might have the opportunity to just be like, say this and maybe someone will hear it and be like you know what absolutely let's hire some more people or something that'd be great that's all i want so i i I agree with you val uh for the most part um it'll be interesting interesting to see where the game goes in you know another five more years right so it's clear now that their their audience uh, is going to expand. They're they're going to get their IP in front of more eyeballs. And let's be honest, it's a good IP. If you get it in front of tens and tens of millions of people, you're going to get large returns from those people. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> where where it's going to be interesting is is where um you know yeah they're not creating like a live action Avatar: of The Last Airbender movie. They're you know they're actually giving out good product. So um basically. Where where I see kind of like them hitting their next roadblock, uh, where hopefully, I mean not hopefully, I hope they handle it well. Um, but where the you know where they become even more humble is when they step into the ring and start getting all these new fan bases in, right? So like imagine you know just your average Magic player coming over to Warmer Forty K. I can because I was him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looking at the rule set, comparing it to Magic, or or like your average like you know comic book nerd comic book nerd guy you know going into the lore and deep diving there and 
put picking it apart, right? It's just you're well, you're 40k probably still makes more sense than the Marvel universe. I would have to guess. I I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm going purely off you know purely off of uh random theorizing there or no, the I DC know, I don't know. Funny. What yeah. the, the point is is that you, you're wacky. going to start attracting you know these people from different communities and there's one thing I've learned about communities in my many many years of geeky nerddom and that's that every community has an identity they, mm-hmm. they, somehow core identity it's just prevalent you know um and obviously there's outliers and and you know different people uh and not everyone fits that you know cookie cutter mold perfectly mm-hmm. but those identities do exist and companies pay attention to them all the time disney's doing it with star wars right now they gave us the mandalorian praise them you know they, they heard they saw they saw the outcry they 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 realized that they messed up with that fandom and that fandom the star wars fandom is a very vocal you know judgy <laughs> it's a star wars fandom you guys I mean, know what like, it is you guys know what i'm talking about so imagine imagine if the games workshop of sixth and seventh edition never changed and just kept going as it was to me that's kind of apart that, no but that's kind of like what star wars is, is oh yeah, yeah. Is, is, <laughs> it just you know it did these amazing things that were so wonderful and had all this you know all these extra things that were added to it there's an expanded universe all this stuff and then just one bizarre choice after another came after it, which to me was entirely linked to hubris that they knew better that, you know, that, you know, it just, it wasn't, it just wasn't good. And you know what? Disney's now sitting there thinking, you know, like the thing that we paid so much money for, you know, isn't, isn't putting bums in the seats like, like we thought it would. It's not worth as much as we thought it would be. And like that's you don't want to get there, you know. Like I don't want Games Workshop and like my favorite game and and media to to consume to ever get to a point where like I'm out, you know. Like, this is dumb. I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Because that they're they're just resting on their laurels. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I think I think that's pretty telling, and I I don't want to go down the Star Wars rabbit hole. That's for another podcast, for for you know another day, mm. but um. Let's go ahead and talk about competitive 40k now. And so, obviously, we've all got some downtime from tournaments. Uh, and after this, we're going to close out the episode with patron questions. Uh, where do you kind of see GW balancing towards competitive 40k? Because I feel like that compliance you're talking about, and this is actually the reason why I picked this episode to talk about this, um, which is the future of competitive 40k. So I believe that compliance is also starting to go a little bit towards the competitive 40k side. Like... I, what I don't want is I don't want GW to look at their rules and go, okay, we got we hired playtesters, we did our best, we're going to wrap a little pretty bow on this and uh, let the ITC handle all the tournaments and never look at it again. We're just, just going to do make our chapter approved books and RFAQs and just yeah. chill. Because because that that implies that they're, they're not willing to grow competitive 40k, which I think is a problem. But... I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. Do you think that's what they're going to do? Do you think that's what they're doing? Are they waiting for COVID to end? What's what's the deal there? Gary? Competitive play is has the foundation to be the best it's ever been right now. Mm-hmm. I think that they've made like the fact that they released like the fact that COVID has happened has sort of, I guess, put a huge wrench into like the overarching plans to make competitive 40k a global phenomenon instead of a regionalized phenomenon, which is kind of what had kind of happened with, well, the ITC and Frontline Gaming had sort of like 
you know, with help from other events around the world, had sort of brought the tournament scene closer together. But them bringing on board large tournament organizers, you know, having a grand tournament pack that's like designed for competitive play, taking a lot of the templates and stuff they used for like Age of Sigmar, which sort of like spearheaded that whole process of these are the missions that we use for competitive play. And everybody uses the same missions. And the missions are right out of the book. And there's no changes. And you just play those missions. And that's sort of like the philosophy and the sort of gameplay that was fostered from the very beginning with Age of Sigmar. So the foundation is there. We just haven't really been able to see it flourish because of a global pandemic. I think that's, yeah. that. of course, that's definitely a shame. Like there's so many things that have been affected by, by what's going on in the world right now. But I love that the essence is there, that that sort of drive to, you know, bring, you know, players from Australia to the United States, to Canada, to any parts of Europe, to Sweden, that you could literally grab the same GT book and go to any event and run the same missions. And I think that's, that's fantastic. And it just bodes really well for the future, in my opinion. Yeah, they, they united the clans. I think that was something that I've I, basically I guess since two or three years ago ironically enough it was it was uh, a Nova thing I saw uh, for for the Nova uh, kill team tournament so I guess two years ago now um, they games workshop published a pack for it and it was for it was competitive kill team at Nova and I said holy crap they could do this for 40k it's gonna happen and they did eventually, and also probably no small coincidence, Mr. Mike Bryant was hired on as the, uh, the global events community czar guy. And, uh, you know, he's been tab dancing and, and doing what he can uh, behind the scenes, and I'm sure taking on other responsibilities because he's not able to do what he came there for, which is to, I think, you know, lean in and, you know, professionally grow the tournament scene. I think much of what I was saying before about the studio I mean, they have added at least three full-time employees that I know of um, who were supposed to be, you know, event coordinators, who were supposed to be people who, you know, were going to be driving the tournament scene and other stuff too, trade shows and things. But they invested in that team, and it's certainly they had marching orders to encourage tournaments. So whatever that strategy was, it just it's still sitting there, right? It hasn't, it hasn't had a chance to, to like, like Scary said, flourish or, or take off. And I, and I, I, I know for a fact, just by, because, you know, Mike Brandt was hired to do the job that he did, that that is certainly something they wanted to do, um, but they haven't been able to. And that is something they invested the people into, but those people haven't been able to do what they wanted to. So in time, that'll come, I'm sure. Um, and that is, I think, going to pay dividends like if you think that the itc was built you know for just the sort of structure and bones the encouragement of it all that kind of stuff is built by at, at its core two guys in their in their spare time or the time that they made for it you know now you've got um you know actual professionals working with the company to grow it i mean that's just gonna be massive once it's able to actually uh, once that strategy is able to be executed on yeah yeah i mean absolutely i I think you're correct. Uh, and I also think that because of that, I don't want to outright condemn their competitive 40 gay plans for the future. Um, you know, th there are definitely things in the making that we just haven't seen yet plans that haven't come to fruition yet because, you know, we can't have them. Um, 
One thing that I still see no real strides in that I think GW could probably do a better job with uh, is more legitimate rec- rec- recognition of competitive 40k. And so what I mean by that is is if um, uh, a League of Legends pro or Magic player were to come to Warhammer 40k and go like, okay, look, I want to be the best. I want to be the cream of the crop. You know, I want to I want to beat them all. You know, I want this to be you know my crown achievement in uh, you know 40k. And they'd look at the ITC and go like, okay, that's that's what I need to do. I need to win the LVO, and they they, they do that, and then they'd compare what they did had to do to win the LVO to what a Magic Pro would get for winning Worlds or, or for for doing well in the Pro Tour, um, and they'd probably go right back to Magic, uh, or you know, it's just <laughs> it's just. I, I I'm not asking for GW to completely take over tournaments and to run a, you know make a pro league. I don't even know if that's feasible. But more prize support, more uh, recognition of people who achieve, you know, meet those competitive 40k benchmarks and achievements uh, would go a long way in retaining people who are competitive focused from other games. Well, from a competitive standpoint, the fact that like Mike, you know, has been so big in like you know this whole creation of a gt sort of pack and and he's taking feedback mm-hmm. like he's physically taking feedback mm-hmm. from tweetios and from people playing the tournament so it's not like a dead end oh he's he's lurking out you there. know he's out there he's taking uh information and whatnot and you know even something like when not nick did, you know ended up writing an article you know for the warhammer community page where it was a dive into competitive 40k like a meta analysis on like harlequins for example you know that's gw sort of like telegraphing intentions and sort of testing the waters with stuff like that as well and you'd be surprised that like the amount of backlash that i saw online from like the hobby side of the the the, um the the community about sort of like you know like that visceral reaction that some people have to just the thought of competitive 40k. So it's not mm-hmm. something that's going to come easy, I find, but it's something no. that that just from that alone tells me that you know what? They have they have their tendrils out there. They're sort of like mm-hmm. testing the waters and they have a plan to, you know, move forward with that. It's like when I read a narrative campaign book, you know, like the Beyond the Veil book which was released recently. And in there, there are missions that have end-of-player-turn scoring, where you hold objectives at the end of your player turn, which is not something that happens in the GT tournament pack right now. However, the fact that that mission mechanic has made it into a campaign book tells me and telegraphs to me that we are probably going to see that rule mechanic make its way into the GT pack because it is on the radar. And it is something that they have worked with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I don't think that I think we're both saying different things, uh, both saying things that that I think are perfectly valid points. I guess my entire argument boils down to Riot knows who Faker is. You know, Wizards of the Coast they know who Kaibude is. They literally hire pro players as as magic designers. You can uh, hire me you know, Games Workshop. They... Uh, my name is Scary. Well, not really. But uh, hire me <laughs> well, whenever you want. Not not because you have Pablo, but that's kind of what I what I was kind of alluding to with yeah. with this stuff before, which was they came to the point where they brought on every major TO out there into their house 
and said, okay, give us feedback. And then they kind of listened to it, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, was, that was that was four years ago, man. right? And that was and 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 I mean, however, you also we also just referenced an article on their site that was probably read by lots and lots and lots of people. Oh, the Nick Nanavati with Nick Nanavati in it. Yeah, was you're right. And that was three years. That was ago. huge. So that was big. I'll you give know, you so that. that. It is it's baby steps, and I think there would be. Ma- I think there, I think we'd be looking at big leaps. Um as far as like games workshops approach to tournament play. Um, if, if we weren't in the pandemic, it's hard for me to criticize them on this. I feel very comfortable criticizing them on the studio side. Um, and not the studio. I think the studio is probably still working right now. I imagine they put in crazy days, um, to put out the, have the output that they do. And I just, it's, it's more critical of the executive class and not realizing the value of investing in it. But anyway, um, one thing I wanted to say about, the the other aspects of tournament play and like just invest in the game is that yeah it's just it's 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 there i think it's ready to go i think this car is fueled up and ready to go and they have secret plans and we don't get to see them yet well i mean i i don't disagree with you uh when next year hopefully um we'll, we'll see when all this ends but um i suspect a huge huge surge in growth tournament growth um the next year you know i think we're gonna see record attendance across the boards um, and then that in turn will, will probably lead people to, you know, enjoy more tournaments and let GW listen and see what the competitive community can offer them. Uh, and you also have, you know, big name, big name YouTubers who are talking about playing and chomping at the bit, getting ready to play. Yeah. And I just wanted ju- just to jump on something that, um, Scary alluded to, which was, um, maybe some negative reaction to the community article from sort of more hobby focused people, which... Completely contradicts some of the, uh, the hobby unity stuff I was saying right off the hop. So maybe I am just a little more blind to it these days. Um, but one thing is, is just just the very fact that they write that article normalizes the concept of a tournament being okay to go to. Because I think culturally, like at the retail store level, yes. like yes. managers and all that kind of exactly. stuff. Scar, remember, like, we, we, me and Scar met up in, in north, north of Toronto to play a game and he just absolutely hilariously destroyed me in one turn. But... Um, I walked in and, uh, and I talked to the store manager who, by the way, only guy who works in that store, unbelievable, like that, (laughs) that someone could run a store on their own. That's, that's a GW store. No disparaging this guy. He works hard. He works really hard. He's like, he's a really good GW store owner. Yeah. Great GW Give him a raise. Great, great, great. Um, you know, certainly great for his community. I've never heard a bad thing said about him. That, that notwithstanding, I asked him, I said, who do you, you know, what, where do you get your, your news? How do you stay on top of the game? And he looked and he scoffed at me. You know, I was like, ah, I know. I, I, I've, I've worked for this company for 15 years. I know the game. <laughs> that's to me the kind of store owner that's probably developing a really great community of hobbyists, of people who love the lore, who build like their dudes and, and that kind of stuff, but is missing out on people and, and, and missing out on the opportunity to normalize you know, actually playing the game and enjoying the game from a, you know, technical standpoint or just the, the fun of playing to win. You so. know, that reminds me of a GW store owner that I used to know too, or GW store manager. Anyways. And that's a cultural thing. And then there's other ones I've heard of, especially newer guys in other, other regions that have come in and like run tournaments in their store and encourage, you know, people to get ITC points and that kind of stuff. So I think it's a, it's a cultural thing, just, just like at the, at the, consume at the customer level i think at the company level competitive i'm sure just there's just as many people who are like why are you playing in a tournament that's gross 
<laughs> as as you know in their own company as there is uh on the internet you know proportionally so i think having that article on their on their site that is just like hey look at this cool guy he wins tournaments and here's what he's got to say about stuff that just makes people who are reading it go huh so it's okay to play in tournaments and that's a great thing yeah um and, and i would suspect that the same people they hire to run their gw stores are also the same people they hire to work at games workshop so they are 100 it, it does start to make a lot more sense when you think about the fact that maybe like a third of the people who work in games workshop are just the typical games workshop store owner they're, they're all i would bet that the uh you know up to the executive tier and probably even including the executive tier they are all for the most part former retail employees right and and not and that's not a necessarily a knock but that is a a very specific cultural yeah. you know personality that, that it is it is, know, a, just, it is a decision it is it exists yeah and and they move around inside and they cross train and that, again it's that hobby gene they are looking for a cultural fit so like that's the question what is the culture mm, if the culture absolutely. thinks tournaments are stupid and trying hard at winning games is gross and ungentlemanly um then you know they're probably not going to put a lot of effort into rules and, and supporting tournaments and i think that's shifting all right good talk gentlemen it was a uh, longer than I originally planned, but I think we got a lot of good, random, mostly on-topic conversations. <laughs> For those of you listening, uh, what what did you glean information-wise from our conversation? Do you have any questions? Let us know what you think about the future of competitive 40k, and let us know how you balance your lifestyle in the comments below on YouTube, FrontlineGaming.org, you know, Podbean, wherever you want to put that comments. I will find it, and I might not respond to it, but I will definitely read it. Uh, also, if you're interested in hearing more from Val and Scari, you can find them on Val. Oh, um, well, a 40k stat center, um, is something that we produce as much as we can. Haven't had one out in a couple weeks now, but, uh, hopefully one this week, uh, catching up, uh, all the news from tournaments around the world with, uh, with firsthand interviews with the, the winners of those tournaments. And this next 40k stat center will in fact have stats. Uh, well, actually, uh, on this very network, the Art of War Down Under had uh, my boy Peter the Falcon Colosimo on to uh, to talk in depth, along with Josh Diff Diffie, on stats and uh, really dissecting the meta. I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic listen. And uh, yeah, we did we do reference obviously how uh, how armies are doing statistically in the meta. Pete is the uh, the webmaster of www.40kstats.com. And he runs all that stuff, and he uh, counts all the widgets. So uh, it always comes up. Right on. And then if you want to hear more from Scar and his sultry tones and his zen-like mastery of balancing all aspects of the hobby, Scar, where can they find you? So the easiest place to find me is on YouTube at Scardcast. You can also find me on Patreon at Scardcast, which is also just a blog where I do a whole bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with giving me money, just so you know. <laughs> Finally. All right. And uh, speaking of Patreon, if you'd like to support this podcast to help it go away on, if you want to win cool prizes, um, this month we're giving away $100 for a free giveaway for stuff that you can buy for GW stuff. So like a free giveaway anyway, for so. stuff for just GW giveaway. stuff. Just to one of those lucky patrons to sign up for that. You can also sign up for the Patreon to get access to Discord, our Facebook community, and you get to ask us questions that we answer live at the end of every episode. And this episode is no exception. On to the patron questions. There's a lot, so I'm going to kind of speed through these. There's a lot of really good ones here. 
Patron Evan wants to know, singles events versus team events, which is better, which is more fun, and which is beginner-friendly? Scary and I will be biased. Scary? Uh, team events are better for the hobby in general, in my opinion. I find that, mm. uh, especially if you have a subpar faction, quote-unquote, that a team event really lets you sort of shine uh, being able to dodge some of your worst matchups. Plus, you get to go with a bunch of friends and have fun, you know, when that's allowed. You always have a pal. Um, sometimes your job is to just not lose badly. Um, there's there's a lot of there's com- even more camaraderie than you get at a at a normal GT or RTT. I love a singles tournament so much. I go to them a lot more. But the more team events that happen, I think the healthier things would be. I agree with both of you. Uh, I think for those of you listening at home, it depends entirely on who your tournament support system is. If you have a core group of two people. Um, you know, fewer fewer than three or four people who play consistently at tournaments, singles events are probably better. Uh, if you have a large, you know, team or group of community or community of people, the team events are definitely the way to go. Um, and why not? You just do both. They're both hey, amazing. It's more. All I mean, right. If, if you see a tournament, if you see a team tournament being offered in your neck of the woods, try and go. Try and go, put a team together. We like. I got um, betrayed by my team, uh, Cash Money Hammer, and uh, I threw together the See You Next Tuesdays, a ragtag assortment of gentlemen. Um, you know, some of whom I'd only met on the internet, and we had a blast. It Ooh. was great. So uh-huh. don't don't let not having a team stop you from playing in a team event. Right on. Uh, now, next comes from patron Steven. Now that Ninth has been out for a bit, what are some of the changes that weren't as big as we first thought? Or what are changes that are big that were skimmed over at first? So thoughts on Ninth now that it's been out for a bit. Uh, I think the points changes turned out to be just, like, not a big deal at all. I know across the board they raised the points changes, but, uh, you know, it just feels like normal 40k now. Um, in terms of big changes... Um, uh, it's just yeah, yeah. Big changes themselves. I think one of the biggest ones is just the mission format. Uh, you know, yeah. that takes probably the longest for someone to learn. That I've noticed that they're, they're jumping in. It doesn't play the same as eighth did, and it can really change like people's perspective. Oh, excuse me. I meant on preconceived notions about ninth. So things oh, that we things might have thought were a big, big deal but, that, or yeah. that we thought yeah, were a big deal that aren't really a big deal. Oh, blast weapons. Um, flyers. You know, being able to fly off the table and stuff like that was supposed to be a big deal. But honestly, I haven't seen many, very, very many flyers at all. Blast weapons ending the horde meta was maybe I think the biggest headline that was completely wrong. Uh, yeah, blew uh, that one yeah. out of the water. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Patron Nick <laughs> wants to know: Are space are space marines going to be as oppressive to the game in ninth edition as they were for the second half of eighth edition? Yes. Short answer. No. Long answer, no. No. Not oppressive. Maybe. No. Mm. I think the oppressive the oppressiveness of the oppressiveness. Um certainly out of the gate, sure. Um, but I mean there's what, ten bespoke space marine armies, right? Like, I mean, everyone's got space marines. Um, everyone's got a favorite color and a flavor, so like they're just always gonna be around from a unbeatable angle? I don't think so. I, I don't get that impression right now. Yeah, I don't think they're unbeatable either. Like Iron Hands was li- like I think literally like out of the box last like this time last year unbeatable. Like it was it was disgusting. Uh, the only thing that could beat Iron Hands was Iron Hands. So that level of oppression, like, like I I don't think it exists now. Yeah, I don't I don't think the so so I actually don't like to go by faction. I go I like to go by list. 
Um, when you look at like if you tier, you know, the top five lists in competitive 40k history, you know, the Iron Hands list is definitely in the top five. And then you'd also probably have to put the Castellan list up there, maybe some Inari Jank. But it also as depends well. what edition you're playing because that list yes. has fluctuated for many times over many years. Yeah, absolutely. And what was at the top um, will not always be at the top. Yeah. 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 So, but I would but, like. So, I would literally take the unerratted Iron Hands Codex and like a Highlander list, which is like just one of each unit in there against any of the dummy lists of of Eighth Edition. I think I mean, that might be hyperbole, but I don't think so. <laughs> like they were so stupid. Yeah, it was it was really powerful. Um, so so yeah, I I don't know. Um, I think oppressive, depending on how you define oppressive. Um, can mean different things. I think that space marines are going to be very dominant and over centralizing. Uh, I think that's going to be the case for most of, most of ninth edition. Um, but we have to wait and see in terms of pure list of dominance. Um, so, all right. Patron Kelsey wants to know uh, how how to not get stuck. How do you not get stuck uh, in your local metal meta uh, by doing well in tournaments and? Oh, this is a. I'm sorry. The question that was just his uh, suggestion for the topic. Um, what do you feel is the weakest part of your 40k skill set, and how are you working on improving it? Ooh, condense it to a gaming. So specifically, playing the game. Weakest part of playing the game, and how do you work on improving it? Are you talking All right, for me? It's list building. Because I'll, yeah. just, I'll take a stab at it. For for me, one of the things I love most about 4K is how hard it is for me. I have uh, what I would describe, or has been described clinically, as severe ADHD, <laughs> uh, which uh, which actually fundamentally has a lot to do with what's called executive function. So the ability to hold an idea in your head and 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 do something else, multitasking, um, you know, being able to stay on target. So for me, just things like order of operations, doing things in in the right order, not forgetting stuff. You know, critical mistakes for me, like the biggest focus is how do I, um, how do I do things so that I, I how do I set myself up so that I, I don't make simple basic errors because of just the way my brain works. And one guy who, you know, listening to who really approaches the game in a way that would work if I, if I worked as hard as it, as, as he does, it would help me a lot is like looking at Brandon Grant, for, for example, the way he talks through every single phase, the way he has like almost like a, uh, OCD approach to each phase of the game is is kind of like the way when I'm playing well that's 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 how I do it. Um uh, I've my my issue has always been in the list building aspect. I always get caught up in being a special snowflake and trying out, you know, interesting fun little random pet units uh or cores of units and then that always just ends up being really bad. So I think what I've been doing is I've just been going into a list building with a complete open mind and just with the goal of just looking for the absolute best thing and best combination possible. You know, even if everyone's going to run it. Um, and that's why I picked a faction that is a snowflake instead of the list itself, the Necrons. They're not very well You always, always got to have your snowflake and then you got to have your, you, you know, you have to have your reliable whips so that way you can go back to it when, you know, you're tired of getting yeah. melted all the time back and forth and yeah. back and forth i say i'd say mine is probably i have a tendency to test new ideas in the middle of a tournament game <laughs> and that doesn't always go as planned uh that's fair 
Um, okay, Patron Matt wants to know hot dogs versus corn dogs. Go. Corn dog. I gotta go hot dogs, right? Toronto street meat. I think I gotta go regular hot Taco. dog, but corn dog. Tacos. 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 Good. Uh, wait, is a is a corn dog a sandwich? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Are we playing life out of after the cover saves filthy filthy <laughs> fifteen here? Like, can we just say whatever we want? Yeah, go ahead. Because now I'm just thinking about tacos. Mm, no man. tacos. Me too. I'm gonna go. Oh, anyways, <laughs> on Patreon, Nick wants to know what's what is the best portrayal of Batman? I'm Batman. Christopher Nolan. Dark, best gritty portrayal. Batman. I don't know. Adam West. Like, like I... come on. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> come dead. on. I feel like Michael Keaton has made a comeback in in the popular cult- consciousness. Maybe just my consciousness, but like, I mean, I, I do think Christian Bale has got to be in in the conversation there. But I don't know, Michael Keaton, man, he was he was a particular kind of crazy. It was great. Right on. Also, um, when do you when you list builds, do you focus on your primaries or your secondaries, or do you focus on other things as well when you're building your list? Do you focus on killing your opponent? Do you focus on the secondary objectives? Well, if you want a full list building uh, thing, you know, you go to the Art of War. We have a menu for that sort of stuff, um, you where you can hire us to do it for you. Actually, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, when we're great. doing perfect when we're doing lists, I think I love making my opponent worry instead of myself worry. Basically, I'm I'm not going to take something. I'm not going to not take something that I want to take just because I worry that my opponent will kill it. I'm going to let my opponent worry and have to deal with having to kill it. Hmm. Damn. Right. I, I get I, whether it doesn't necessarily lead me down productive paths. I'd net list a ton just because uh, I find that more satisfying. <laughs> just eliminates. Yeah, I, I, I commission paint a net list, so you can tell. I just like being there. Um, but when I do list build, I tend to get really obsessed with efficiency, um, both like defensive and offensive capability of units. And I spend a lot of time spreadsheeting stuff, whether it's useful or not, I don't know, but it is the rabbit hole I enjoy the most. Right on. All right. Uh, patron Nick or patron Ben wants to know, and this is actually a really good question. Um, going back to my debate days and cross with cross examination, what are the most productive questions to ask your opponent pregame about their army or their faction? their rules that's a that's a really good that question. Is a fantastic question first of all you should have a list of questions <laughs> right secondly do you have a list of questions well, yeah <laughs> you should you should have a checklist if you're going and you're learning yes. and you want to learn how to play you should definitely take the time to develop a checklist and on that checklist should be what main questions you should ask your opponent personally things like can you advance and charge is there a mm-hmm. way for you to redeploy? Can you fall mm-hmm. back and act as normal? Do you have a mm-hmm. way to deny Overwatch? Do you have a mm-hmm. way to stop me from fighting first in close combat? Do you mm-hmm. have some special heroic intervention shenanigans? Um, can you deploy in the neutral zone? Right. Can you deploy out? You know? Can you like? What is your threat range? Or what? You know? What does your relic do? What does your warlord trait do? You know that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So I I want to say I do want to say that um uh the opposite you also don't want to ask those questions either and that's something my debate coach always used to pound into our heads was don't ask open ended questions during cross X um because they are not productive or efficient and those are things like does your army have any tricks or gimmicks because um, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you all my tricks and gimmicks <laughs> sir. like you should you, never play oh. the gotcha hammer but 
Like, if you want a specific answer, ask a specific question. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'd, say, I'd say the the questions that Scary just rattled off, like not all of them are gonna be important in every single game, but I think that's a wonderful, pretty good, good, pretty good. Pretty list succinct. To start. Pretty I do, good. I do, I would allow like don't like tell me your tricks or like how does your army work. I think that is a little too broad, but I will. If if it's something like if I'm just like sit down and just like a mono faction slanesh list, I might be like, got any wacky shit? Like, is there something like particularly weird going on here? And you know that might spark something. But yeah, leaving it too broad can be a little awkward you, for both parties. Yeah, you also want to ask them about the, the the parts of their list that you don't recognize or that are kind of off meta, right? So if they're running like a typical white scars list and they've got a unit of ten close combat terminators, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Well, that's oh, meta now. I've never now. seen these in my life. No, you, well, that's meta now. Reavers. But... <laughs> you want like Reavers. You want to be like Reavers. Yeah, yeah. Dark Elder. What you you should you could ask them what kind of strategies, oh, relics, and abilities affect that unit. In the back just of the like... deployment zone in a white suit just standing there. Like, yeah. What's he doing? <laughs> like, what's he doing? <laughs> oh, jeez, oh, Rick. Why are you standing in the... Anyways. Um, okay. The next patron, Brett, wants to know, how does GW fix 9th going forward from pe- repeating the missteps of 8th edition, aka the constant, the new thing is great until nerfed, blah, blah, blah thing? I uh, just just so, do 10th edition already. Just go. <laughs> okay. I think I ranted for long enough in the quality control. Listen yeah. to your playtesters. Um just quality control. That's it. Ooh. All right. Next question. Patron Tristan wants to know, how do we keep the game competitive while keeping tournaments playable at three hours a game? Chess monks. Yeah. Boom. There you go. I think what he means by that is um, if if games don't get done in three hours, uh, you kind of ruin the integrity. You, of get, the you get two and a half hours normally at a GT game, and that's plenty of time. That's for both I sides. I, I think I think two and a half. I haven't hours been to a ninth fine. edition. I haven't really played. Uh, yeah, I haven't played a high stakes game in ninth edition. I don't know how fast it goes. Like, well, how, the sorry, first couple of games like will take game four hours because you're learning yeah. all the new. But like once ones. you know what you're doing, like how, it's, like it a, honestly a takes less than two and a half hours if both players are okay. just go go. Like yeah. I haven't had yeah. to use a chess clock in a very long time, and and it's they yeah it they, you get two and a half hours and you're done in. You know, two and fifteen, maybe two hours, depending on how quickly you go. I think yeah, I played I played a couple of games of ninth, even learning games. They weren't they were three hours at the most. Yeah. It, it does feel faster. I feel like at the at at I don't know in competitive forty k because in forty k there's always the potential either by malice or accident um, to take too much time. Um, I think the chess clock has always got to be chess there. Chess clock is great. Whether or not you yeah, have to use it. Uh, it's got to be, there. and it adds to the yeah. competitiveness. I, you know, it doesn't oh, yeah. detract to it. It's like it's awesome. It adds an element of pressure. You know, it adds an element of like assertiveness when you're making decisions on the table, and it's mm-hmm. sort of like it adds an element of respect for the time lapse of the game. Right. Yeah. So if your opponent's like fiddling around or trying, like taking way too much time, taking their feel no pains or whatever, you just flip the clock to them. It'll speed up. All right, and then finally, how long can Pablo keep talking about Magic the Gathering without being cut off by a host? I don't know how long Honestly, was it. This, this, several uh, podcast this, episodes. This podcast, how long was it? This episode. Somebody should have a stopwatch. For hour this and a half. <laughs> hour, hour and a half. Yeah, it's. I think less, less hey, than an hour and a half. After we, yeah. one, so there was a there was a a Reddit thread that 
some for some reason caught my attention and uh the topic isn't not really important to this conversation but what i thought was awesome was that as i was reading through that reddit thread and it was in the r slash competitive 40k or whatever there were all these people who were coming from different games and bringing their experience from other game systems and game companies to the conversation and I don't know if that's just because, you know, 40, like I'm a 40K player. I don't, I don't cheat on 40K. I have eyes only for 40K. There is no meme of me looking past 40K at another game in a red dress. I am only looking at 40K. So I thought it was cool that there were all these other uh, ideas and like impressions of how you can run a game and how competitive games can possibly work and how that applies to 40K. So you, Pablo, bring in Magic the Gathering and League of Legends and competitive yoga and whatever the hell else you talk about, chess. Um, I think is awesome, and I encourage you because I think um, getting pe people get really focused on 40K, again, cultural thing, it's really easy to get lost only in this. And so being able to look outside and bring in that experience is only healthy for the game. So go for it, Well, Pablo. thank you. Thank, thank you, Val. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't add anything else to that. That was great. All right. That is it. That is the end of the episode. If you'd like to be a patron and ask us questions, whether they be silly or otherwise, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics and just donate $5 a month. For $5 a month, you can, four times a month, for a cup of Starbucks, get me to answer weird and awkward questions. Um, unless, Which you know, magic card does those questions? Which magic card does that remind <laughs> me of? The the patrons or the asking awkward questions? The awkward questions? questions that you have to answer. The Pardon? awkward questions you have to answer. Oh, Prodigal oh, man, there's, sorcerer. There's so many prodigal sorcerer. Tim? <laughs> Tim! Is, is Tim, that, yeah, is that an international thing? When I was a kid, oh, I was yeah, telling totally. Tim. Oh, yeah, totally. Everyone knows who Tim is. I didn't know that that was a thing. That, yeah, that, oh, yeah. That's from before the internet that like, yes, my that friends was, yeah. would call him Tim. So that's awesome. Yeah, he, that was a big thing. But 20 years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yo, yeah, Tim. Tim pro Anyways. Um, <laughs> so that was uh, one minute. Okay. Let uh, yeah, uh, uh, knowledge pool with, with Tefiri. I personally really like, like the that. anecdotes and metaphors. I feel like it's much, much better for people to have perspectives that aren't just based on like this tunnel vision of, you know, tabletop games. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of a perspective, I'm going to end the episode with this. God damn it, Disney. Let Jon Favreau and Filoni take over <laughs> Star Wars already. Please, dear Emperor... Just do it. Just, Just reboot. Dave Filoni, John Favreau, those are your boys. You do know it. <laughs> Gosh, I don't. Just reboot. I don't get it. Yeah, just Dave. Episode yeah. one, go. <laughs> <laughs> Episode one, dude, just do it. The whole thing. Yep. And people have done it before. Yep. It works. Just do it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Anyways, all right, guys. Thank you all, and gals. Thank you all for listening. You are all, of course, the best listeners in the world. I hope you enjoyed this ranty, fun, random episode, and as always, have a good one.